Hello, and welcome to the CFA Society San Francisco podcast, where we interview and discuss current topics with leading members of the Bay Area investment community. This week, Tanya Subatang, Membership Manager with CFA Society San Francisco, sits down with Lana Arue, Senior Manager of Insights and Intelligence at Splunk. Listen in as they discuss business intelligence, data analytics, professional designations, and career transitions. Hello, Lana. It's great to have you on our show today. Hi, Tanya. Thanks so much for having me. I am so looking forward to speaking with you some more. We have some great areas to cover. So I want to start our conversation. Having you tell me a little bit more about your role. You currently are the Senior Manager, Business Insights and Intelligence. That's a very long title. <laughs> it is um, a mouthful. <laughs> it's Splunk. So if you could share with us uh, what you do in your role and a little bit more of what Splunk is. Right. So I think I'll start with what Splunk is because it'll better explain what I do. Um, so basically, if you think about it, there's a lot of digital systems creating a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And I think companies understand that like, oh, if they could harness that, they could really come up with some great insights on how to better make decisions or how to create less friction and things like that. And so what happens is they they, they turn to Splunk because it's a very messy and voluminous and sophisticated process that you need to be able to see all your systems in one. And so what Splunk does, is it's able to do reporting, indexing, monitoring, reporting, you know, things like that, all these verbs that you can think of. And what people are able to do is leverage that data to some actionable insight. And it's about them harnessing the, the petabytes of data and the disparate systems. So that's Splunk in a nutshell. And I will say that I'm what I do is is like a subset of that in a very more um, where I'm not working with petabytes of data. I'm not applying AI or machine learning, but essentially I'm looking at data, at patterns of data, and I'm trying to help management get ahead of these patterns and trends that I see. And so a lot of that is helping them, you know, everybody talks about making informed decisions. So it's that decisioning aspect, also helping them see any kind of inefficiencies or even the other piece that I do is thinking about how do I better articulate the value of my department? And so I'm always kind of looking at different data points in that respect. Wow, that's quite impressive and very analytical (laughs) for sure. (laughs) So I have to ask because this is something interesting. When we first spoke, you told me you actually have a love for fashion when you were growing up and aspired to get into the fashion world. So I'm very curious because after hearing what you do, it sounds very analytical. It sounds very logistical, you know, probably a lot of math involved or something. (laughs) How someone who has a love for fashion and, you know, wanting to get into the fashion world somehow translated her career into business intelligence. Right. So I think the funny thing is, I didn't know about business intelligence till I was actually applying for the job. (laughs) So that was one thing. But I will say with fashion, I was just, I think at the time, it was something I was really interested in. And 
And Mm -hmm. I found out that you can make a career of it. And so I had told my mom like, okay, I want to pursue fashion. And I could tell from her face, she was just so disappointed. And she was never those, she was never a mom to tell me what to do, but I just didn't, I just felt so bad that I would disappoint her. So I put fashion aside and I decided to pursue other things that interested me. But I do feel like fashion has boomeranged back to me because Mm. it's come up in a lot of times, I guess I'll say like when you're working with data visualization and you're trying to capture an audience, you have to make it so intuitive that even before you explain it, people get it, right? And so part of it is playing with the visuals and different palettes and um, really thinking about you know that end user. So I do feel like it came back to me, but it just came back to me in a different way. Wow, that's fascinating. I know I've never would have thought that kind of piecing together these kind of information and presenting it could kind of take to your what you said a boomerang effect like it is has to be aesthetically pleasing but also some someone as you mentioned understanding it before you can even explain it yes that's that's really important yeah that's that's very interesting now before you were in Splunk you were actually at BlackRock for 18 years what was the motivation to make a move from a company like BlackRock a very traditional firm to Splunk yes so when I was in well the business intelligence group I was in we handled two different areas and I had rotated through both different areas. And in my last year there, I was also working with other departments to pick up some other side projects. But it was clear to me if I wanted to evolve that I would probably need to look externally. And so I was just fortunate that Blunk was looking for someone like me at the time who had enough experience that built a program to start one up in this other um, department that I'm in right now. So it was just, um, it was, yeah, I, I was just lucky that <laughs> it all worked out. Yeah. So did you always know, because you mentioned that you didn't really know business intelligence until you mm-hmm. started working for, for Splunk. So what would you say was one of the biggest learning curve you had moving into this mm-hmm. role? Yes. So the first thing was probably SQL. So <laughs> because a lot of times these, these BI tools, they claim that it's the drag and drop tool, mm-hmm. but I have made zero dashboards with zero SQL, right? If you were to show me, if somebody were to say, oh, I've made a dashboard with zero SQL, I will probably interview the people who use it and then I'll say that it's not, <laughs> it's only good to a certain point. But what I mean by that is it's like, you do need SQL to, you know, to get it to that extra next step so that, mm-hmm. that the user finds it not just usable, but it, it works for their flow of thought. Um, actually, I forgot what your second question was. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I was just asking what was your learning curve or what was oh, some of the new things you learned having getting into this new position? Okay. So SQL is definitely one. The other thing is the BI tool. Mm-hmm. So I took a ton of classes to get myself up to speed. I also got, got a certification on that as well. And then, um, you know, the other component that I had in my toolbox was the CFA and then also my MBA. And so the CFA helped me immeasurably because you're so used to working with income statements or different formulas or measures. And so there's a lot of metrics you work with in business intelligence and you have to be very data literate. And so one of the things is 
you can talk to people and a lot of times expenses are quite intuitive for them. So you can talk about that the wazoo and people get it. But then when you start talking about incremental revenue or this component of revenue, basis points, people, their mind just kind of stops. And it was very fluid for me because of all of the the learnings I had within the curriculum. So I guess kind of digging a little bit deeper into it, since you mentioned it, you earned your MBA in 2000 and you also earned your CFA designation back in 2013. Now, being CFA Society San Francisco, many of our candidates usually pursue one or the other, but you actually have taken both or pursued both. And that's an amazing feat. I'm interested to learn kind of from your perspective, how has earning your MBA and your CFA helped you in your career? Did one kind of provide more help in certain areas or was it kind of equally um, helpful for you in, in succeeding in your current role or in your past role? Yeah, definitely the CFA, I felt helped more for me just because I was in the asset management industry mm-hmm. and a lot of the familiar terms, your your ears are perked up and you, you understand what people are saying. Whereas I think if I didn't have that curriculum, I think some things would go, you know, past me, right? And I wouldn't have picked that up. But, um, you know, the the framework and the cycle, just all that curriculum that I got taught, so useful. I use it even in my job in technology. You know, we talk about signals and things like that. And right. here I am pulling things um, from the CFA book just to get inspiration. We'll, we'll talk about, say, risk, or we're talking about how do we articulate efficiency. And I'll go grab um, the book, <laughs> my formulas, and wow. I'll look at, you know, the, it's quantitative, but sometimes I could translate that, these great formulas into something we can use um, to articulate, you know, uh, something else. So it just gives a real, really good framework. There's people who, you know, time test <laughs> these formulas. So why not leverage them? Yeah. Wow. I've never heard that before. That's so amazing to hear that even after all these years, you're still pulling out your book and kind of referencing. That's awesome to know. Yeah. Yeah. Super useful. Um, I will make one other point is, yeah. you know, I, I got this idea actually because the colleague, a former colleague of mine, he was trying to measure the value of different projects. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he pulled out the dividend discount model oh. <laughs> and he, on the numerator, instead of having dividends, he had uh, qualitative factors. So it was kind of like 10x, 5x, and then he used, you know, um, rate of return and growth. But he was able to look at these projects side by side and then say, this one actually is more value for the um, department to pursue. And that to me, it just unlocked another understanding of, oh my God, I have all of these formulas that I can then go back and use as frameworks and think about it. Like I don't have to be limited to um, numbers. It could Mm -hmm. be qualitative things of easy, medium, hard that you can use and then apply the formula. Wow. Who knew? That's so fascinating. (laughs) Well, that's always great to hear to know that, you know, I'm sure people, those who are probably in the middle of taking their exams are probably sometimes questioning, will I ever use this again? And I think that, you know, to hear your story that years later, you're like, yeah, you could apply a lot of the things you've learned to a different avenue. So that's amazing. Yeah. And I have a colleague too that I was talking about talking to. He also has a CFA. Mm-hmm. And so he he's in the data analytics space and he says he uses CFA all the time. 
<laughs> anyway, so that's, that's another thing. To well, consider. that's yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, you sound like you've taken many courses and workshops. You had mentioned a few earlier, um, having kind of transitioned into this new role. What are some courses that you've taken that you felt helped you succeed in your role or maybe something you've taken in the past that helped prepared you as a business intelligence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was say SQL, so there was this Udemy course by Jose Portilla in particular that really helped me. It was just some way like how he was explaining SQL that it finally started to click more <laughs> where I have to say like before I would read books or just watch different excerpts, but he did a really great job. So I highly recommend his course. Um, the other thing is I think a lot of times people get um, uh, they get they, they think like the more BI tools they know, the better. But I think it's really about really mastering the BI tool that you know, and then then it's easier to kind of more translate to that next BI tool. Um, and so what I would recommend, um, I have I've used Tableau a lot. And so they have a ton of courses on their website. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are even short, two minutes, you know, whatever you can fit in. Uh, they also have a sometimes well, they'll give away courses for free and it'll be the basics of or these fundamental classes to get a certification. I would highly recommend that because a lot of times you you don't know what you don't know. And right. so it's about seeing all the possibilities that are out there. And then, you know, I, I think in that curriculum, I learned to make a Pareto chart and I was like, okay, well, it's interesting. And then, you know, I actually used that uh, <laughs> the, about six months ago. We wow. need to talk about something. Yeah. And so I was like, oh yeah, here, here's the, here's the Pareto chart. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'd say definitely take that curriculum and I would highly recommend their um, their hands-on courses. It's, the, it's from their conferences, but it's it's, it's their older um, classes. It's not the ones that they have now, which are a little bit more on the marketing side, mm-hmm. but definitely those hands-on were really good. So I would say... Wow. Well, that that's a lot of courses and <laughs> workshops you've taken. Um, well, it sounds like you need it, right? Because it's technology and data are ever adapting, I'm sure. And you've kind of have to always look at look at them differently and kind of be able to, um, as you mentioned earlier, provide information as easily as possible for those reviewing it. So mm-hmm. these are yeah. excellent tools. Um, because your job is very demanding, how do you balance that? How do you, you know, how do you balance maybe the one side of your brain and kind of exercise the other. What do you do in addition to those courses um, that you mentioned? Yeah. So right now I'm trying to look at the whole of me, um, especially during the pandemic. I think I realized that I was on fast forward a lot and I wasn't mm. pausing enough. And I would read so many articles about how sleep was so good for you and how it would help not only with your mood or your cognitive function or even your exercise and dieting. Um, and I never right. really did much to measure myself or do anything about it. And so I finally am um, trying to work on other pieces of me. And that's one of the things that I'm doing is trying to see, um, experiment with myself and figure out how to how I can deepen my sleep to help, you know, um, look out, out for the rest of me. So Wow. Well, so you're essentially doing a business intelligence on yourself. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of, I, I wear sometimes four devices. 
Oh, wow. Um, so what? Measuring, yeah. So you <laughs> truly love health. numbers, don't you? you? You definitely love this. Like I do, I do. Yeah. What is it about, you know, the your role or not just about business intelligence, but what is it about data that just gets you so excited? Yeah. So I think it's one of those things where I know sometimes people read books and mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, yeah, now I get a concept. For me, it's like, give me numbers and then I will tell you like what drives what and mm-hmm. and then you you can have like that discussion with say that subject matter expert and things will start kind of firing on all cylinders because it's kind of like oh I see this this and this can you explain this and so they might fill in gaps or they might be like oh my god you see that um, you know understanding so it's really about like really understanding what the data is trying to tell you a lot of times I tell people like I love bringing data to life because a lot of times um, people also associate business intelligence with dashboarding mm-hmm. and dashboarding is good up to a certain extent, you know, um, and, and sometimes it becomes stale because people feel like, oh, I can't get insights from this. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I feel like that's why it takes like a human person to go in there and then spin the data around and then say like, oh, what is it saying this time? And, you know, um, that also speaks to the insights piece in terms of like why I find it so interesting because it's a creative process each time. So mm-hmm. every time I find an insight and then we reply it, it's almost like you you start with another clean slate and then you look at the data from a different angle. And then you say, can I figure out something that will help them get ahead of um, you know a problem or a surge or things like that? So no, so that's that, amazing. Yeah. I've never, you know, I, I'm not that kind of person. I don't think data and I see numbers and I and I and I can see, but you know, you can. I I don't. So it always fascinates me when I hear somebody who has that such passion because you could tell that this is a passion of yours and it's very evident. Um, so you you received your undergraduate at um, UC Berkeley and you study you got your bachelor's in political economics. How where where was that jump when you realized like I'm really good at analyzing numbers. I'm really good at data because you, know, you have a political economics background. Yeah. So I think what it was is I actually of course didn't know what I was exactly going to do because it's not like you can I don't think anybody does. <laughs> but it was like one thing compounding on the other mm-hmm. and then it kind of just really blossomed so things that I used to do in the past that I thought was quite interesting so for instance I remember when I was first reading job descriptions and I kept on gravitating towards market related things and I think it was because I was trying to understand relationships and drivers and a lot of times the market will be like oh yeah nickel you know went up because batteries or whatever so you kind of understand like maybe relationships a little bit more mm-hmm. and I think I was just trying to make sense of things honestly and then it just you know after going through a series of like whether it be jobs or you know curriculums it, it just started to blossom into that and I think also it's one of those things where with data being a more important aspect of how people are using it to make mm-hmm. decisions it's just one of those things that happened after the fact you know way after the fact in terms of when I originally started my journey I 
guess. That's amazing. Now, obviously, we know technology is ever changing and always improving. And being in the the technology sector, you probably see this firsthand. Has your method changed because of this? Because there's different ways to interpret data, as you were mentioning earlier. Is it constant? Is it on the job learning? Or you just kind of have to keep your eyes open for new workshops and courses to keep ahead? I think it's a a little bit of both that you're talking about. So I, I have to say, I think at my former company, it was easier for me to look at the new things that I needed to learn because I had been there so long and I kind of knew the rhythm of the work and how to balance things a little bit more. And then once you kind of go into a new industry and a new role, right, it's a little harder because you're trying to get up to speed with everything else, right? And so I do feel like it, you know, still spend time, but not as much time as I used to in terms of trying to always take additional classes or even like listening to webinars. I think it's always important to listen outside of your industry because a lot of times we get so focused on this or that. But right, yeah, it gives you another perspective in terms of you know where you can kind of take certain concepts. So I I always do that when I can. Yeah. Oh wow. So what kind of industries are you listening to? Like what what sectors? Right now I'm looking at listening to technology more because before I was in the financial sector. Right. Yeah. So I'll listen to security and data cloud and things like that. So I was like, okay, got it. But um, yeah. So those types of things I'm listening to now. And then actually, even this morning, I was listening to this uh, neurodiversity webinar. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's not anything that I'm related to. But I just feel it's one of those things where I need to pay attention to things Mm -hmm. and um, be more aware of areas where it may not come on my radar, but it's important to understand, right? Like where people are coming from. So anyway, yeah. No, that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, it it is. I've never would have thought that way. It's very enlightening to, to hear, you know, you're in this particular sector, but you're opening yourself up and learning because you're anticipating that somehow it's going to cross your path. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. a great Definitely. advice to have. Um, so before I let you go, Lana, because it is a busy day for you, I'm sure. I wanted to ask you and I ask everybody this in our podcast, who inspires mm-hmm. you and why? Yeah. So I have a bit of a tricky answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love tricky answers. Okay. So the thing is, I really try to think about the who because I think before in the past, there always used to be a who. Mm-hmm. And it's really not a who, you know, at this point right now, it's it's kind of like I get inspired by say even colors and I'll use that as inspiration on a color palette or how to like make a point uh-huh. or I'll use formulas to inspire how I'm going to, you know, come like create some type of explanation for a framework, right? Uh-huh. Or I will even like kind of keep myself still and then I'll ask the data questions, just a ton of questions mm-hmm. and I'll start pulling on each of the threads and then after that, it comes up with some type of insight that I can mm-hmm. then present. And so I, I'm i kind of more inspired by <laughs> like internal things or things, yeah, things that are not a who at this point, but yeah. I love that answer. And your fashion is not gone. It's so <laughs> funny because l- listening you talk about palettes and threads, and, oh, um, yeah. it's still very much there. Are you, I mean, question, I guess, is are you somehow still pursuing fashion or your, your creative side? Because it's still very evident as we talk here. Yeah. So a friend had told me that when I retired that I should go back into like some type of fashion. So I was Uh doing some beading on the side and I put it away because it was putting, it was taking a lot of time and I was going down a rabbit (laughs) hole. But yeah. um, yeah, So, you know, it's one of those 
things. I do love data. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that data will even be with me after I retire. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always love fashion because I do feel like it's a way of expressing yourself and just the more creative side. <laughs> well, I, yeah. that is so great to hear. Thank you, Lana, so much for joining me today. It has truly been a pleasure and eye-opening, you know, with the experience you shared and the stories you told. Thank you so much. listening to the season finale of the CFA Society San Francisco podcast. We hope you enjoyed the engaging discussion. Stay tuned for a new season of the podcast coming this August. Find new episodes and catch up on previous ones featured every fourth Tuesday in our weekly newsletters on our website and through the CFA Society San Francisco podcast channel, available through most major podcast apps.